0: the volume. This session is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number 1 sports book for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use, it's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now, winnings are delivered in as quick as 2 hours. Plus, It's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee. that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 NEXT STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1 888 789 7777 or visit CCPG.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1 800 GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. 1 877 770 STOP for Louisiana. 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1 877 8 HOPE NY or text HOPE NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1 800 889 9789, and 1 800 522 4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Is there anything more stressful than interviewing your boss? We've not really even got to hang out. You know, it's like I, I work with Colin, I work for the Volume Podcast Network. Obviously, that's where we are right now. But because of the circumstances and we got into that of why he even launched the volume with this like world that we're living in where people are at home and blah, blah, blah. We've not really got to spend a whole lot of time together. So as much as I feel like I could just hop on and like bullshit with the guy, it was like he's my boss. A precedent needs to be set. What if he walked away from this interview and thought I was the shits or like I asked him a dumb question or God, who knows? It was really cool. It was nice to, you know, we we talk all the business side of things, of the volume, his career, the things that he's been doing, how he juggles it all, um, what he looks for in a broadcaster, what he looks for in people to join the podcast network. But then we just get into like some Colin stuff, talking about, you know, a health scare that he had had uh, last year uh, and just into his relationship with his wife, his kids. Um Really good stuff. I think that you guys are going to enjoy it. I hope that it shows you guys uh, another side of Colin that you don't always get to see, uh, whether you're watching him on the herd. Or you've been you know, a longstanding fan of Colin Cowherds. The dude has been uh, in this biz for a minute doing all sorts of things and uh, always carving his own path and always being so authentic and being outspoken and not backing down from that, which I, I can really appreciate. Uh, it's not always to do that. Easy to think you want to do that. Not easy to actually do that and stick to your guns and being the public guy for that long. So kudos to him. Um, All right, here we go. Here's my interview with my boss, Colin Cowherd. Is the pressure on for me to like really nail an interview with my boss? No. A little bit, a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) No judgment being passed whatsoever.
1: I once had to interview Barack Obama twice. That was nerve wracking.
0: How do you prepare for something like that?
1: I just kind of had 12 questions. I whittled it down to six. And then if he, if it went longer, I'd ad lib, but, um, I don't prepare for most guests like podcasting. I do. But like if I'm doing a show, I don't usually know who's on until like I step to the mic right before the show and there's a list. Bob Costas was one of my idols. You know, if Bob is coming on. I'm probably going to give it a good hour of thought, but I'm a pressure free guest. So don't worry about that.
0: I feel like I go back and forth. There's times that I feel like I put in. A ton of work on certain interviews of like what I want to ask someone and blah, blah, blah. But then there's other times when I just throw caution to the wind and those end up being my favorite interviews, usually to just like see what's going to happen. Turn on the mic and figure it out. That's not what I'm doing here with you today because I felt like I should prepare a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's funny. How do you juggle everything? I mean, how do you juggle from from living your life, doing the herd, launching the volume How are you doing all of this?
1: I think I surround myself with really good people. I'm not a meddler, whether it's at FS1, iHeartRadio, or The Volume. You know, I hire good people. I do my homework before the hire, and then I just get out of the way. And if I have to occasionally bark or, um, you know, say, hey, this doesn't feel authentic to my brand, or I think we're forcing this. I mean, that's very infrequent, but I've been doing it so long. I know what I like. I've surrounded myself with people who know what I like. I also think you reach a point in your career where I'm not losing sleep. If I have a bad segment, you can't let it get to your head, prep, let it rip, go have a cocktail. Don't overthink it.
0: How long did it take you to get to that point?
1: About 10 years. I think 32, 33 years old. I just felt like you're stressing out too much. Just let it rip, be natural. I also think about 32, 33. I kind of found my voice. Up to that point, I was doing, you know, 10% of this person, 10% of that person. I had influences, a little Letterman, a little Costas. And then all of a sudden, one day you've talked so much, you stop thinking about them and you just become the best version of you. That's why I I take criticism pretty well. I'm not trying to bat a thousand here. I'm not going to be precious on stuff. I have bad segments. I misread shit. I mean, it just happens. You can't worry about it. You know, also, the, the, there are people in my life who have resumes that deserve my attention. If if a successful broadcaster or a successful executive comes to me and questions something, that's different than a random guy on Twitter. Who are you? Everybody's great on Twitter. I'm not really interested.
0: Oh, my God. I was literally just saying that right before you hopped on here, but in like sort of a different context that somebody had tweeted at me trying to like burn me in some capacity. And I responded with the accurate reason of, you know, what happened. And they're like, just kidding, huge fan, big supporter. It's like, oh, my God, stay off the Internet. That stuff drives me bonkers. People just trying to get attention or screaming into the abyss on this blue little bird machine.
1: You've done some stand up, right?
0: I mean, I would use that term very loosely. The only reason I ever did stand up was because kind of like you just mentioned, you have your idols, these people that you really look up to. For me, that was uh Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Sarah Silverman. Those were and Chelsea Handler was a huge one for me. Um, And those women all had done stand up to some degree, maybe not so much Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. But that was something I just felt like I'm like, well, if they're doing that. I got to just go give it a shot. And it was terrifying. But um, no, it was not the thing that I wanted to do.
1: But think about that. Think how long it takes a comedian to go on stage, work out an act at the comedy store or at home before they nail it. We don't get that. We're not actors where it's edited. We're not writers where you have a copy editor. Uh, Local news is a teleprompter. I am ad-libbing for three hours a day. No shit. I have an occasional bad interview or guest this is live. And, and now podcasting's different. I, I do a podcast. I can edit out a bad moment. Uh, it's much more ideal as a platform because I can edit out rough spots. But when I'm doing that three-hour show, I'm not sure mistakes. It's part of it. We're artists. We're performing. The minute you get out of the perfect thing, the funnier you get. And I think I've bridged that where I have a sense of humor. I don't take myself too seriously. That's why podcasting works for me. Like There's no rigidity with it. It's kind of let it rip. I think that works for my personality. I'm not, I'm not a teleprompter reader. I'm not a host, the stoic host. The you know, they're, they're hosts I watch and they're so good at what they do and they're so refined and they're so classically hosty and I'm not.
0: Was there ever times in your career that those like more traditional hosty gigs were offered to you? I mean, the brand that you have built, I'm sure some of those opportunities must have come your way with that, like big shiny floor. And you know, that, that's kind of situation.
1: To be honest, Renee, it didn't exist. So I grew up in a world of columnists, local sportscasters and play-by-play guys. There wasn't a me. When I went to ESPN, I've told this story before the first five years, they didn't know what to do with me. They're like, he doesn't do play-by-play. He's not really a host. He's got strong opinions. John Walsh, the more cerebral of the executives at ESPN and John liked me and and I wasn't traditional. So John said, you're the company theorist. You make us all think. And that was the first person at ESPN after five years that said, you know, they're trying to pigeonhole you here. And what you are is one of one. You're the company theorist. You, I drive to work, I listen to you. And then you create topics for other shows that people didn't think about. And that was the first person at the company. And I thought, that's kind of what I feel like I am. Like I'm not Mike and Mike. I can't host like Scott Van Pelt. I can't do play by play like a Joe Buck. That's not what I am. And so I've never worried about comparing myself to others. This is what I do. It's my act. It's authentic. And I hope you like it.
0: It's really interesting how that happens where, you know, I feel like somebody in your role and the role that I've done throughout my career, I've worn so many different hats because I often feel a lot of the same thing of people don't really know what to do with me. And When I started doing commentary for RAW, essentially at the time, I was the best person for the job to step in there and do that. But like, I've never done play-by-play. I had not a clue what I was doing. So I'm thrown into the deep end trying to figure it out on national television in this insane situation. But that was not my strong suit. And it's funny how people often think when you just see someone working in sports of like, oh, well, you can do that and you can do that and you can do that. But they are really different roles. And it's really hard to succeed at all of them.
1: When I created the volume, my takeaway was I wanted to hire people because I couldn't get into bidding wars with Fox and ESPN. So I wanted to hire people that they wouldn't know what to do with. I wanted to talk about the same sports, but I just wanted different angles on it. So I looked for people who did things differently. And so I've had a lot of people, really talented people that have asked, hey, can I be part of the volume? And it just doesn't fit what I'm trying to do. I'm not looking for traditional broadcasters. I want personalities. That's what I want. Maybe it's a, not that I have a sympathy, but I have, um, I connect with those people. Like networks don't know what to do with them. And it's like, oh, I do. I know exactly what to do with them. Create some digital stuff, let them be themselves, interview whoever they want. Like Jenkins and Jones, it's almost like on some days it's comedy and basketball. It's cultural. You know what you're doing. You're stepping out and interviewing people beyond what you've done before. When I look at you, I just think, "Oh, she's entertaining." Sometimes corporate executives, and it's not a criticism, it's a reality of the platforms they have and the roles they need to fill. They're looking for certain things. I was just looking for entertaining people. I didn't really care what they were, man, woman, young, old. I didn't care. And so that's what I've tried to cobble together and I think we're doing a good job.
0: Why did you want to start doing the volume? How did that seed sort of get planted in your brain that that's what you wanted to do next in your career.
1: Well, the pandemic hit, and it was killing sports talk radio ratings and advertising. And uh, Julie Talbot, who is the CEO of Premier Radio, she had called me about two and a half months into the pandemic, and she said, "You're killing. Your show is sold out. Your ratings are through the roof." And she just congratulated me. And I remember hanging up the phone, thinking, "Well, if it's sold out now." What happens when people get back on the road? Because remember, cars weren't on the road in America. Nobody went to work. So I thought, if I don't create another platform, those advertisers will go to my rivals. And I didn't want to do any more hours on radio. Like I didn't want to do a four-hour show. So I thought, I'm just going to create a podcast network. So when the economy is good again, and we're charging more for spots, and the show is sold out, I'll retain those advertisers. And it just grew really, really fast. We had an unbelievable fourth quarter. Again, it's a credit to really smart young executives and the people. It's really interesting that Draymond Green for us, you know, I think we surprised people when we landed him. He's classically the volume. He's absolutely what we are. He's a second rounder. He's a grinder. He doesn't fit. What is he? He fits our role.
0: We're like the land of misfit toys. Yeah.
1: And, but I think I like. that's what I always wanted. I wanted people that didn't fit traditional roles. I just wanted smart, interesting people. I remember Alex Monaco did stand up.
0: Yeah, that guy's a trip, man.
1: A maniac. So I wanted to create a company that was 70% content, 30% gambling content. And I saw Monaco and I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. He's a comedian who does picks. That's not available on the market. And then live moods. And I'm like, confident. She's doing stuff from her home. Yeah, she's cool. That's my words. Like, yeah, she's, she's cool. So I, we have a stand-up comedian and live moods. Totally unique in the marketplace of making picks. So again, same sports, different angles. So that to me has always been the fun in this, is just finding these unique voices.
0: Why do you think that these unique voices, and I do think that there is so much depth Uh, to talent that exists under the volume and these people, you know, other people that exist outside of the volume, why is it that they have a hard time finding where to fit in? I mean, I know there's a traditional side of things, but you know, when you, you look at being a personality on television, especially in like the sports world, I, I, you know, I kind of look back into like what Keith Olbermann did and the changes that he made of being like a cool sports broadcaster. Why is it so hard to make that happen?
1: When Steve Jobs, created the iPhone. What he really did was say, I'm going to create something. You don't know you need it yet. And it's going to be indispensable once I create it. We didn't think we needed it. Now we can't live without it. Most executives are not entrepreneurial. I think entrepreneurs, I'm not saying I'm some, you know, great business person. But I think I have a little bit of that in me is that I'm always looking for stuff that you don't know you need yet or you don't know you'll be addicted to yet. That to me is the fun in this not going. He's just like him. Let's hire him. She's just like her. Yeah, I've been doing this 25 years. I'm totally over that. I'm trying to find somebody and you go, what? That's I'm not. And then all of a sudden, three months later, you're like, oh, my God, I can't miss her podcast. That to me is the fun in this.
0: Hey guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you, hello, hi, and you love some combat sports, well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix, only here on the Volume Podcast Network. Let's get into some of your health stuff. It was last summer. What all went down?
1: So I got into a ski accident, I would say 15 months ago, where I crashed and broke a rib. And it hurt so much that I couldn't even go for like walks, forget runs, like walks hurt. So for about eight weeks, I was just sedentary. I never drank water because I was never thirsty because I never moved. I was drinking a lot of coffee because I was so tired and sleepy and laying in bed. And water thins the blood, coffee does not. I wasn't moving and I was flying a lot. And all of a sudden I got a little clot in my um, calf. It moved up. I got off a flight went to dinner with my wife. And after about two bites of steak, I looked at her and I said, I feel like somebody just stabbed me. I've got to get to a hospital. I have no idea what's happening. I stood up and it was the most severe pain I've ever had in my life. And so it was the day before the Super Bowl. I called a friend, Mike Zizlis, who I'm in business with. And he literally four minutes later pulled down the street. I was around his neighborhood at a restaurant, got in the car, drove through 15 red lights. I don't know how we got there in 15 minutes. It was a Saturday night because of COVID. Nobody was allowed in. My wife wasn't allowed in. So I'm sitting there on a bed and they think it's COVID. They take all these tests and they're like, you have a blood clot. Then they put me upstairs in this area that was a little more serious. 36 hours later, I could still feel it, but I was on blood thinners. I was on blood thinners for about two months, maybe a little longer. And, uh, and they kept, you know, battery, of blood tests, blood tests. They couldn't find anything. So it just happens. It was a, um, a series of events. And it was so funny because I went through this CAT scan or whatever it is. And the guy dropped me. So I was on this bed. I was in such severe pain. And it was almost, it was almost like a shock. I just screamed. I just, yeah. Guy's like, oh, bro, sorry. He's like 22 year old kid. And so I went back in that pain. And I remember thinking, I got to call my kids. I was sitting there. Nobody can go in. It's COVID. Nobody can come in. And maybe I was being overly dramatic, but the pain for about 20 minutes was so severe. And I'm sitting there thinking, don't. You can't call them. You'll get emotional. Don't. But it was, it was rough. It's no fun to be in the emergency room with a blood clot.
0: That has always been my fear. I mean, traveling as much as I did every week with WWE, I would think about that all the time. Like, what if it happened? It's a silent killer. Oh, my God. Like, that is so horrifying.
1: How have people not died on flights over the Atlantic? All you do is sit down for 12 straight hours. No movement.
0: We had a show in Australia in uh, Adelaide, I think, Um had the flight there and somebody did have a heart attack. I believe it wasn't a blood clot, but they had a heart attack on the flight in first class and um old school wrestler, Michael Hayes happened to be the person who he looks like a little bit insane. And I mean this with the best intentions. He just has like crazy long hair. He's wearing like a full, like, you know, teal or like lilac purple suit. And he's, he is the one to jump to this man's aid with CPR. And yeah, I had to like, we had to stop down somewhere else in Australia before we took off. But like, that's the fear. Taking those long flights of like, what's going to happen? It makes me, it gives me anxiety to even think about.
1: One of the reasons I won't go to Australia, I don't think I'm built to do 14 hours on the plane this point going forward. Now, again, I'm going to go for a run today. I drink water nonstop. I don't take elevators since then.
0: Have you ever been stuck in an elevator?
1: No. As a kid, I I was a little claustrophobic. I remember being part of a a football game we won and people piled on me. (laughs)
0: That's horrifying. (laughs) I'm like a late in life claustrophobic. I never used to suffer from it. Now I'm like, oh my God, like getting in an elevator is my nightmare.
1: I tell my wife, I have professional claustrophobia. I do not like feeling trapped as a broadcaster. You have to do this. You have to say this. Here's the teleprompter. I just don't like it. I don't like being, you know, when I created this podcast network, I don't think, you know, my employers initially loved it. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to do it. Or we just can't be in business long-term together. So like, I don't want to be trapped. If I feel trapped, I'm out. It's professional claustrophobia. I'm out.
0: Especially at this point in your career, like for somebody to dare try to tell you what you can or cannot do, you've built your own empire at this point that that boat has sailed.
1: I hope so. Yeah, I think so.
0: It has. The boat has sailed. You're you're doing it. You've... You... <laughs> Confirmed from me. Okay. Not your agent, but but I'm here to say that. Um, you mentioned your wife. What's your relationship like with your wife? How did you guys meet? Let's get into a little call-in romance.
1: I was divorced amicably, although initially it wasn't amicable, probably as much as I'd like it to be. But um, the first six months to a year are tough, right? You don't see your kids as much. It's pretty emotional. So I was divorced and uh, living in a condo in Hartford. And I was looking for something, it was renting it. I was looking for something full time. And I went to this, uh, my Liz was the name of my real estate agent. And she said, uh, I've got this woman and she's been like separated for like eight or nine months or whatever it is. Her name is Anne. And she goes, I don't set people up. I'm not saying it's from me, but she's a designer. And you said you were looking for a designer if you bought your place. Here's her number. As she was talking, I dialed Ann's number and put it on speaker. And Liz is like, looks at me and I said, hey, Ann, I heard you're hot. Let's go out. Liz tear totally set me up. And Liz starts screaming, you blankety blank. And Ann's laughing and Liz is screaming. And I said, hey, I need a designer, but I'd love to go out with you. And I knew instantly. I just knew. I just, she was really culturally with it and funny and attractive. You know, you could have a cocktail with her. She was just easy breezy talker. And, uh, you know, we'd both been kind of beaten up a little bit. We were just kind of, we're looking for companionship and fun and laughs. Cause you know, when you go through that, man, it's dark. I think we both kind of looked at each other and thought this will be fun. She was really fun personality. Uh, She broke up with me six times in six months.
0: How did you get her to keep taking you back? Were you like out with like the stereo outside her house?
1: I had an epiphany. So um, we broke up a lot and stuff. And even I would say the first year of our marriage, it was, she's a feisty Irish girl with a strong point of view, very creative. She's an artist. And I went to a therapist and uh, I'd been to him about 10, 12 times. I I'd moved from Los Angeles and it was just a lot. I was moving kids and family and schools, a new jobs, tons of stress. I said, I, you know, I, I feel some anxiety. I got to talk myself out of this stuff. So it was the 10th or 12th meeting with this uh, therapist. In the meeting, he mentioned something and he goes, that's why you can't see the frog. And I went, what? And he goes, yeah, that's why you can't see the frog. And I said, what are you talking about? I thought it was code for something, right? And he said, move your eyes up two inches. And I moved my eyes up and there was a giant frog hanging from one of his lights. He said, it's been there five years. You've never seen it. He goes, that's your brain type. He goes, your wife would walk in here. The next time she would come in, if I removed it, if I changed colors, she would know everything in this office. And it was a real eye-opener for me. We have never argued much since. That was a long time ago. And it was really an eye-opener that we have different brains it's really made me think differently about people in general. You go to these social media platforms and everybody's trying to convince everybody else to think like them. And we all have different brain types. I married an artist. So the laughs are big. The fights are feisty. That's who she is. She can see things before I can see things. But I also think I add more of a sort of unemotional sort of kind of common sense, bring it down, you know, take the heat out of the room a little bit sometimes because my mom was British, very reticent, very British. You know, my dad was the stoic doctor. So that's my brain type and hers is the opposite. But it, it was a real moment where I was like, why am I trying to make her think like me? What's the point of this? This is really not good for us.
0: What made you start getting into therapy? I love a good therapy session. I, so I don't even do therapy, but I love that other people do therapy. I should do therapy. This is my therapy.
1: So I put my kids now occasionally in therapy if they have an issue because I'm not a professional. Go talk to a therapist. What do they think? Here's a voice that's not judging you. Um, So I think I was in my 20s in Las Vegas, multiple divorces with my parents. I think I just wanted a smart, older set of ears. And I just wanted somebody smart to listen and figure out some of my idiosyncratic issues. And I haven't done it since that time. So I haven't done it in years, but um, I'm always open to a fresh set of ears and perspectives.
0: That's really interesting at like 24. That's really impressive that you kind of had the wherewithal to go in and do that at that time, because it was certainly was not as popular as it is now. Was it hard for you to come to that conclusion that you wanted to go into therapy or to make you feel like that stigma of that, like, oh, I'm wacko?
1: I was really excited about it. And and you know what I was finding that the women I was dating, at this time I was single, they were all saying the same thing. I mean, they all liked me, but they would be like, oh, no other woman could deal with this. They all said that.
0: Like, what were some of these things? What were the hangups?
1: I was just so willful and dogmatic about what I believed and you couldn't stop me. And I, I was uh, not uncaring, but just so driven I would stay home on a Friday night and tape broadcasters on a cassette, study them and write. And these women were just like, this is not normal. I've dated other men. This is uh," now, of course, those I haven't talked to a lot of those women in a long time, now the women over the last you know 20 years have been like, I always knew you were going to do great. And I'm like, you dumped me. What are, I, what are you, right. You, you, br- you broke my heart. What are you talking about?
0: Wasn't good enough then when I was grinding away and it seemed insane. But now that it's my job, it's cool all of a sudden. Thanks.
1: Yeah, right. That's
0: so funny. Fight fans, take your best shot with a $150 bonus insight credit guaranteed from FanDuel Sportsbook. It doesn't matter if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out. New customers get an instant $150 bonus in site credit on your first bet of $5 or more from March 13th to April 4th. Just sign up with the promo code Renee to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. Get in on this. You don't want to miss it. You can choose from the money line to the method of victory and so much more. And with cash out, the ball's in your court so you can close out your bet whenever you want before the fight is over. So get your $150 bonus in site credit guaranteed. Just sign up with the promo code RENE, R-E-N-E-E on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable set credit that expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat for Connecticut. 1 800 Gambler or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. 1 770 Stop for Louisiana. 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY for New York. Tennessee Redline 1 800 889 9789 in Tennessee. 1 800 522 4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800Gambler.net for West Virginia. You as a dad. What do you like as a dad with your kids?
1: Not a helicopter parent. I would rather they make mistakes while they were either living with me or I feel like I have, I'm more of a seminal voice in their life. You know, they get married. Nobody, you know, you're going to avoid me, right? So pre-21, I can have more of an influence. Again, they're human beings. They're not human doings. So they're going to do what they want to do and I let them. They both have a strong point of view. Uh, They're very different. Sometimes I think my daughter would be happy being kind of a successful hippie. My son is very techie and very driven. Um, I try to be there for them, support them, not spoil them. But parenting's hard. Seeing your kids get their heart broken or seeing your kids disappointed, it's hard. It's hardest thing of my life.
0: Was it hard to not spoil your kids? I mean, having, you know, being financially well off and living in California, having all these beautiful things right there. Was it hard to not spoil them?
1: We've always had a rule. Education and experiences will spare no cost. I'm going to give you experiences and any education. We're not going to talk about what it costs. It is what it is. After that, I think I live a very normal life. I don't own a watch. I don't have a second car. I'm not into stuff. I'm not a stuff guy.
0: Yeah, I'm not a carpert. I could give a shit about spending money on a car. What a waste of money. I actually don't even have a car right now.
1: So I don't have like those guy things, golf club memberships, multiple cars, boats. It's just, it's not my thing. Watches, uh, it's stuff guy. I'm not, that's not me. So we don't live an exorbitant life now. Do I fly private occasionally? Yeah. Have I taken them on that private jet occasionally? Yeah. Because I, and I tell uh, their mom this, I'm like, listen, I'm not going to pretend I haven't done well. When I look at our kids, the six of us together and for me too, I don't think they're spoiled. I think they have some comforts. I, I, not, not comforts. I would say, cause none of them are living in, you know, they're living in just regular old apartments all over the country. I would say they've had experiences that are perhaps a little higher end than some kids, but not exorbitant. I mean, we're not hella skiing in Aspen. We're not doing that stuff.
0: We should try that at some point. I mean, it sounds, it sounds lovely. I, I would.
1: I'm going to try it. <laughs> sounds
0: really great. Uh, okay, Colin, before I let you go, I would be remiss to not talk to you. I mean, you're, you're a very unapologetic broadcaster. You have been through your entire career, uh, but you've said some comments in the past about, Wrestling fans. Oh uh, yes. Has yeah. your opinion of wrestling fans changed over the years?
1: Well, yeah. So, you know, my former agent now is the president of WWE. And and listen, I'm not gonna lie here. If you watch my show, there are times it's tongue in cheek. You know, I call myself America's honesty broker. You know, I joke about journalism. We all know, you know, that's I'm not Walter Cronkite here. Okay. So there's some tongue in cheek stuff. So at one point, I was talking about wrestlers and I had said something and they just went crazy reacting to me. And I'm like, oh, this is funny. So I started calling them booger eaters. They just went crazy. And it bothered them so much. It became funny. Like it was just, and one of the guys on the staff was a huge wrestling fan and he loved it. He thought it was the, he goes, oh, I won on these boards last night, man. It was
0: crazy. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> but it, it
1: is interesting. When my last, I've been at Fox now for about eight years. My last couple of years at ESPN, I said on the air. I said, you know, the world's changing and everybody's going to streaming. And I said this at ESPN. I said, I think wrestling is going to end up on these sports networks it's getting numbers. Increasingly, all sports is becoming entertainment. And I remember saying that people were like, what about booger eaters? And I was like, the world changes. Like wrestling now is not only mainstream, you can put it on ESPN, you can put it on Fox. And it's like these wrestlers are doing amazing charitable things. They become Hollywood iconic figures. Some run for office. I mean, if we if we're going to treat like all these actors certain ways, it's like these wrestlers are like, if you think about it, actors getting the shit kicked out of them. It's like a combo hybrid actor athlete. And I think there's a lot of redeeming people in the sport. I think their stories are fascinating. And so like it's just like anything else, like you just pivot. I'm much more interested in tomorrow than I am uh, enamored with yesterday. Like I pivot off stuff all the time. I have new opinions. I have new information. But I will say this. The former staff member I had who liked wrestling, he was really, keep going, keep pushing. They're going. He loved it.
0: Well, that's how it goes. You, you have that heel turn. You got to lean into that heel turn. Let them have it. Let them hate you. You want them to boo you. You don't want them to be indifferent.
1: Hulk Hogan became a heel. Why can't I become a heel? I am a heel.
0: (laughs) You are a heel. You're a heel through and through. Yeah. I mean, that was one of those things. I was like, if I don't talk to him about this, my fans are going to go bonkers. (laughs) Um, So, of course, we had to bring it up. But um, you were able to go to SummerSlam. You got to go down to check it out. We got to do some of our podcasts in Las Vegas. You had Triple H on your show. How was that whole experience?
1: Oh, it was great. I mean, I loved interviewing Triple H. You know what I was really proud of? I think I almost made him cry.
0: Wow. What happened?
1: I'll try to say it without vanity. When I interview, I'm kind of looking the bigger, the stronger the athlete. I'm always looking for the the soft spot. I want to find where he's vulnerable. And I don't recall exactly what it was, but he was so human. You know, that's why he's super smart. If you talk to him, like he really knows, really bright.
0: The cerebral assassin.
1: Yeah. And so those kind of people are always great. And we talked about something and he paused and I was like, God, this is great. He's a real dude. You know, some of these guys like Stone Cold and Triple H, The Rock, Cena, they're massive people. But the stuff that bothers them is the stuff that bothers the insecure little 12-year-old kid. Once I knew this woman, she was a child psychologist. She said, like, the stuff that injures you at eight never goes away forever forever. You find these big, strong athletes, man, and you have Tom Brady still crying about where he was drafted. Money doesn't solve it. Success doesn't solve it. Hurt is hurt. And that Triple H interview in Vegas, I I came off that and I was like, that's a top 10 for me. I loved it.
0: That's honestly one of the reasons why I wanted to start doing the sessions was I have this relationship where relationships with so many different wrestlers and these guys that are revered as these like, you know, these monumental larger than life human beings, but knowing what their story is, knowing what some of their struggles are, knowing some of the things that they've been through or not knowing them. And me being able to uncover that and have those conversations. I had my episode from today, actually, with Cash Wheeler. I interviewed him and I had no idea where it was going to go. I had very few notes written down. And he he got to get up and walk away three times during the interview. And like, I'm becoming emotional. But that's the stuff that sticks with you. And it stuck with me all week long. I just love people. I find people fascinating. I think their stories are so fascinating. And to me, wrestling really is one of those things, especially with it being this niche product um, and and the wrestlers that grew up doing it and, you know, kind of outcast by not by society, but it wasn't the cool thing to do necessarily. And now they here they are with these amazing careers. And I just I think it's so cool.
1: It doesn't take any courage to hurt somebody. What it takes courage to do is acknowledge you've been hurt. And so social media is trying to hurt people, but when you can really find somebody that's really secure in themselves and can just go, yeah, I, uh, I bawled like a baby. It's like, that's hard to do publicly when you're the big, strong person, right? The politician, the wrestler, the pro athlete, that's courage. You stand up and just say, I can't emotionally, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm weak. That's a really cool thing. And probably in my life I've had six or seven moments where I'm with this larger than life figure and they just go really vulnerable. And you just sit there and you're like, wow, I totally respect that person.
0: Especially to do it publicly, because honestly, it's so hard to even come to that conclusion internally, let alone letting other people in on that is like, what a vulnerability for them to, to let us in on. And when those moments happen, I mean, yeah, just to humanize somebody for a second and stop, because yeah, I mean, all we do, we're constantly analyzing everybody. Social media is constantly analyzing everybody and throwing these stones. But uh, end of the day, these men and women, the work that they put in and staying focused on their goal and, and all that, I, I, I love it so much. It's so cool.
1: You know, it's jet fuel. Criticism is jet fuel. So, you know, when, when you get hurt, it that's the stuff you go back. And, you know, Michael Jordan, even in his prime was taping stuff on mirrors in his house, doubters and columnists. Uh, He acknowledges he sometimes made them up, you know, like he would he would create stuff in his head that they don't believe in me. And it's like, yeah, when Michael Jordan's doing that, he knows where the motivation comes from, not from being praised, from from being doubted and challenged and critiqued. And so that's what sports offers that news doesn't. You know, we just deal with these driven, willful, almost exotically talented people. And they're all at some point they've all had critics. You go back and look at Michael Jordan's documentary. He was the best player, probably the best looking player, the best dressed player, the most glamorous player. It was so hard. He didn't get along with his owner, his GM. He had to have two coaches fired. Michael Jordan's career was so effing hard. And he was great, glamorous, good looking, stylish, rich. You go back and you look at the legends. You go back and look at Brady and Russell Wilson, his college coach said, Going to have to transfer. I'm going to replace you with Mike Glennon. I tell my kids this. These are the greatest rock stars in the world. And they went, as Andy Dufresne said, through 10 miles of shit to get there. So what is it like for people that aren't that gifted? You just forget how hard it is for the icons. I just read a book on Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K. He had a losing record at Army. He almost got fired at Duke twice. That program started to, nosedive about three different times. He's the winningest coach ever. The whole damn thing was trials and tribulations. So it's like, if that's what it's like for the greatest, don't lose confidence in yourself. Don't. It's okay. It's hard for everybody. But man, when you come out of it, God, does it feel good?
0: Oh my God. Honestly, when you get that success, you have that great day. You have a great show. You have a great interview. That's the stuff that's like. Hell yeah. Pat on the back. That's what I'm here supposed to be doing. It's magic.
1: And it was never easy. Nobody gave me the easy pass and I'm here. It's really rewarding.
0: Colin, what a gem of a human being you are. It was really nice having you on the show. Oh, we should do this more often. I really
1: enjoyed it. Yeah,
0: I know this was really nice. I love getting to pick your brain a little
1: hangout. You're so everything. That's the thing about you. (laughs) So you're funny and you're smart and you're witty and you're attractive. You are so everything. Most people aren't. Thank you. Oh
0: my God. That's so kind of you. Well,
1: it's not just kind. It's admiration. Like you don't have any borders. Never forget that. You have no borders. There are are no limitations with you. Just remember that.
0: I try to keep them that way. And it's funny. Sometimes I like... Especially now in my like mid thirties, I'm like, should I have had more borders? Do I need a border? I think about that sometimes, but it's it's really cool, sort of uh, navigating and uh, you know wading through the water and picking and choosing those moments.
1: Well, society largely boxes all of us in, so try to fight that.
0: Colin, thank you so much. It was awesome to have you here.
1: Thank you, Renee.
0: Shout out to Colin. We got to shoot the breeze. I feel like he like just got off the air as well when we did this. So I know what it's like to be talking for that long and then feel like you still got to go talk to another person. It's like, oh, my God. Um, So that was it was a good hang. I really enjoy getting to talk to him, uh, especially getting into like more of the Colin stuff. I love getting to pick people's brains. I love that he's been in therapy for so long. Really cool. I honestly was not expecting that. I would have thought that he would have been one of those guys. It's like, no, no, I got this because he's just so confident and has um, such an air about him that I I would not have thought that he would have been that guy. So really cool to see that. Get it, Colin. Clear that mental space. Talk it out with a fresh pair of ears. Kudos. All right, guys, thanks for hanging out with me. You know, you can catch all the episodes. Uh, There's plenty for you to take a deep dive on, you know, wherever you're listening to podcasts. But there's also the um, the YouTube channel. Uh, just search Renee Paquette, The Sessions. It's all up there because um, you can see these interviews if you want to. Maybe you want to. Maybe it's how you like to consume things. Sometimes I just like to look at it, you know, even though it's through Zoom. I still enjoy it. Is it weird that Zoom's just becoming like the normal way that we all hang out now and it's like starting to not feel weird? Anyways, guys, I'm out of here. This has been The Sessions. See you next time.